Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, investing in cryptocurrency could be a good investment, or it could not. You know, with cryptocurrency being so young and the market being historically volatile, there is no real yes or no answer about the wisdom of investing in cryptos. It is with this in mind that we cover some pros and cons and really just some friendly but not professional advice here today. Cryptocurrency is, despite all its risks, perhaps the most exciting asset of the 21st century, a decentralized digital currency that works on the very interesting and likely here-to-stay blockchain technology. And if you don't understand what all these gobbledygook words mean, hang tight here because we're going to define all of these things and what they mean. Trying to figure out what the blockchain is or how it works is like the olden days of the internet. You know, when college students were asking, what's a modem? Or what's this internet browser thing? And why do I need it to do my homework? You know, trying to explain the future possibilities of the internet in the early 1990s is like explaining the future possibilities of blockchain today. In other words, blockchain, with all of, you know, its possibilities and what it will become, it is not a fad. My guest today and I will discuss this here in just a moment. Hey, it's Buck Joffrey from Wealth Formula Podcast. I know you love real estate investing. I do too. It's the best place to invest your hard-earned money. But what if you could invest the same money in two different places at the same time? That would be even better, right? After all, who wouldn't want to double dip their investment dollars? Well, that's exactly what Wealth Formula Banking allows you to do. It's a strategy used by the wealthiest families in the world, the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and you can use it too. Turbocharge your real estate investing. Go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Mike Freeman to the show. Mike is a student, practitioner, and a teacher of what it means to be free. You know, after 25 years in the software industry and 12 plus years in investing, he knit together a life that includes everything he's passionate about. Mike had his head deep in cryptocurrency and blockchain-related technologies for a long time now. He's been interviewed on AM radio, spoken corporate settings, and an investment conference, and he writes a newsletter about the blockchain revolution. And if you don't understand what that means just yet, you know, hang tight. We're going to get into that here on this episode. But in 2017, his knowledge of blockchain technologies coupled with his investing experience allowed him to retire to Chile, where he now spends his time advocating for freedom and seeking the next best way to cause more freedom in the world. And as of late, he's been educating people on the basics of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. In his spare time, he loves enjoying incredible Peruvian food and aims to be an extraordinary dancer of Argentine tango by the end of the year. That's an extremely great goal. Mike is also a new friend of mine. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Marco. Great to be on. It's great having you on, Mike. You know, I want to just start off by just throwing a disclaimer or just, you know, a, a kind of a cautionary comment out there. I know a lot of people that are going to be listening to this episode are thinking that, oh, man, you know, crypto might be the next best way to make a quick buck. You know, full disclosure, Mike and I both own crypto, many different kinds of cryptocurrencies. And, you know, we are not necessarily recommending these on the show or we're not giving you investment or financial advice. This is purely for education and entertainment. So with that, let's dig in and learn a little bit about you, Mike. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. What brought you to this point? You know, I first came across crypto in 2014. And it's kind of a standard story that you hear in the space now, if I wish I bought more back then. But I only dipped my toe in the water and I ended up buying on an exchange that went belly up. So I actually have nothing left over from 2014. 
but it was the toe in the water I needed because when the opportunity came up late in 2016, I already knew, I already knew I was familiar with crypto. I knew what Bitcoin was. I had kind of done the study. And so I just dove in head first late in 2016. And it's just such a fascinating space and revolutionary technology that I just, I don't stop. I study all the time and it's just, it's the only thing I ever want to talk about. You're also passionate about it. You know, we met back on the cruise, the investment cruise that we went on with Robert and Kim Kiyosaki, Peter Schiff, and a whole bunch of other really interesting and high profile people. And we had numerous conversations about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and what it is and what you're investing in and what's coming up and the utility and the value of these things. And your level of depth and understanding is far, far deeper than a lot of those so-called quote unquote gurus that are out there that are selling, you know, newsletters and subscription services for literally thousands of dollars to get investment advice on it. So, you know, you have a great level of understanding, which is why I wanted to bring you on the show. And you're clearly passionate about it. So I think the best place to start is really with the basics. Some people really don't know what cryptocurrency is. In fact, I would bet that most people don't understand cryptocurrency, but everybody or virtually everybody has heard of Bitcoin. So why don't we start by talking about the definition of a cryptocurrency. What is that? We know that Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, but let's just kind of lay out the basics. Sure. So cryptocurrency is an electronic payment method. So you can think something like PayPal. Now what it's different, how it's different than PayPal is PayPal is based in dollars and uses bank accounts in the background. Bitcoin is a fully bank independent system. It's literally a set of computers out on the internet independently contributed to the Bitcoin network that process transactions. So when you use Bitcoin, you use an app on your phone, on your computer to send money, Bitcoin, instead of US dollars, directly to other people. That's the really high level. So Bitcoin is an example of one of quite literally thousands of different cryptocurrencies out there. Yeah, Bitcoin is the market leader, if you will. It's the largest market cap coin out there. And it's argued, there's, there's basically everything I say, there's a lot of controversy around, but Bitcoin is the largest one out there. It's arguably the most secure coin out there, but it's also open source code, right? Meaning it's publicly available, copyable code, legally copyable and literally copyable. And so lots and lots of other coins have sprung up because they are trying to make a quick buck or they think Bitcoin lacks a particular feature. So they'll copy Bitcoin and add additional features that they think Bitcoin is missing. So yeah, there's, I don't know, something like 2000 coins now out there. So when you, when you first dive in, it, it's just a ton to take in. So a cryptocurrency is essentially a form of currency. The key thing or distinguishing feature about it is that it is decentralized. There's not one central home or controlling or regulating body. It's decentralized, meaning that it's spread across a network of computers all around the world that check and verify and talk to each other on a consistent basis to make sure that transactions are legitimate, that nobody's trying to hijack or tamper with or hack into the system. So it's got that benefit of being decentralized. But at the end of the day, it's a digital, that's the emphasis here, digital currency that is not centralized like you have with the U.S. dollar or being in a banking system like the banking system we have in, in the U.S. or any other country. Was that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And it, this is the hardest part to fully wrap your mind around because decentralized is kind of a new term. It, cryptocurrency has really brought this into the limelight. 
these are the, the network of computers that process your transaction when you send or receive Bitcoin. That network is built of computers that individuals or you know individuals running corporations have put online and run the Bitcoin client. So that means there's no company. There's no Bitcoin company. There's no Bitcoin CEO. There's no single point of failure. There's no office. There's no person. There's no technical support. I tell a lot of people the technical support piece because we're used to, hey, you know, if my credit card gets stolen and somebody charges something, well, the credit card company is not going to hold me liable. Or if I mess something up with, you know, a bank transfer, I can just call my bank and they'll sort it out. With Bitcoin, one of the things that's so revolutionary is you own your money, period. (laughs) There is no customer support. There is no bank. You own your money. And so it comes with this incredible level of responsibility on the challenging side, if you will. I don't think it's bad. I think this is great. But it is challenging from a user side perspective. But that also comes with a whole slew of freedoms and power that really take a lot of study and reading to fully wrap your brain around. And it's because of that friction and complexity that the adoption rate has been slow. And for the most part, the majority, great majority of the population don't own any kind of cryptocurrency of any kind. And the reason is, is because it's a little complicated to understand and it's a little complicated to acquire and it's complicated to hold and manage. I don't think it's all that complicated, but being realistic about it, for most people, it is complicated because you have to create an account with an exchange or two. You have to have a digital wallet on your phone or on your PC. I mean, there's a lot of pieces here. It's not as simple as just carrying a bill or a coin in your pocket. Right. The easy side of it, let's talk the easy and the challenging. The easy side is you need an exchange to get to transfer your money into Bitcoin. And so the biggest exchange right now in the U.S. is Coinbase.com. It's relatively easy to set up an account. You upload your identification, you connect to your bank account, and you just transfer, you know, ACH transfer money in and swap a very small number of cryptocurrencies. So that part's really easy. The part that the ease of doing that makes it easy to not understand is the security side. Coinbase, just like your bank, is hackable. It's like any other website. And we've seen the news with Equifax and all of these Sony hacks, these huge hacks with personal data being stolen. Your money in the cryptocurrency world is now digital. If those sites get hacked, it's not just your social security number or your address and phone number that gets stolen. Your money can now be stolen. And like I said, there's no customer support. So learning the security side of cryptocurrency is critical and it's something so easy to step over and never learn. Right. Yeah. There's a lot more responsibility goes with it because you have complete anonymity. Well, I shouldn't say that. You have complete freedom and you have a whole heck of a lot of anonymity. Do you want to touch on that, the anonymity portion of of, of Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies? Because a lot of people don't understand that your transactions are, for the most part, invisible to the general public. Yeah, it's, this is this is a really fascinating conversation because it's like you're completely exposed and you're, and you're anonymous at the same time. So the blockchain technology is the technology behind Bitcoin. And really what that amounts to is what's referred to generally as a public ledger. So all of these computers out in the cloud that are processing the transactions, they're maintaining a ledger, just like a bank would, of all the balances and exchanges that go on. That ledger is public meaning anyone with the Bitcoin uh, software installed can actually go browse. You actually don't even need the software installed. There are 
things called explorers, block explorers. And you can go look through the public ledger. And what that means is the public ledger has your account number and your balances and your transaction history, but not your personal information. So with a block explorer, I can go look at the full ledger by account number. So now the anonymity side of it is my personal information isn't there. You can't go search the blockchain for Mike Freeman and find out how much Bitcoin I have. However, as soon as you can interact with me, you learn my account number. I have to give you my account number for you to send me Bitcoin. Well, as soon as you have my account number, you can use the Block Explorer to look through the public ledger and see, oh, well, that account number has this much money and it's transacted with these other account numbers. So while there's a level of anonymity, it gets broken very quickly. And very importantly, there are companies out there who are using data crunching to look at the connections between accounts plus social media connections. There's actually a study done with LinkedIn and blockchain data, and they're actually able to derive identities. So while there's a certain type of anonymity, Bitcoin itself is not something you should rely on as a private means of transaction. Right. You touched on blockchain, which was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I want to now ask you why that's important. And before you answer that question, just for our listeners, this is kind of the crux of it all. The blockchain is what is the amazing revolutionary component that underlies all these cryptocurrencies. And and it's important to understand what blockchain is more so than what Bitcoin is, because blockchain is is like you said, a ledger, but it, you know, the way I look at it, this is my analogy. You know, everybody understands what a spreadsheet is. They've looked at a spreadsheet and, you know, every row can be a record of some sort of transaction. You can put data across that row in a spreadsheet. But if you imagine having that spreadsheet spread out across hundreds or thousands of computers all around the world and they're essentially tracking the same data and each of those spreadsheets are talking to each other confirming that what one spreadsheet has matches what is on another spreadsheet or ledger and that one is confirming with yet another computer on the network that that transaction is the same and it's unbrokable unbroken because they all have a unique fingerprint with you know what they refer to as a hash then it becomes virtually impossible to crack or hack into that system. And that's that's the whole thing with decentralization. It's not one spreadsheet. It's hundreds, if not thousands of spreadsheets spread out all over the place. Is that a pretty good analogy or, or did I miss something there? Well, there's so much to talk about. There's always more to say, but that's a great analogy. And I think the part, I'm going to try to put in the right words here without going into depth because I, I'd invite your listeners to go study on YouTube. There's amazing videos by some really smart people that explain this stuff. So I'll try to, I'll try to add in some words that sure, are you know, sure. effectively words on YouTube. Please do. But the, the two things together that are critical are blockchain and what's called consensus. So consensus is how do we get this, you know, thousands of computers, how do we get them all to agree on that's a legitimate transaction? This is the legitimate history that this ledger should have. We need to coordinate all those thousands of computers. And how we do that is called a consensus or consensus protocol. Blockchain is really the type of the database. And most of it's uninteresting. It's kind of heresy to say this, but (laughs) most of the blockchain is actually kind of uninteresting. The pieces that become critical with blockchain are, as you mentioned, a hash. A hash is a fingerprint. It's literally a small amount of data that represents 
the uniqueness or the identity of something. And to kind of be a little hand wavy here, every time you request a transaction on the Bitcoin network, the network is going to create that digital fingerprint of that transaction and include that in the next transaction. And what that does is create this uniqueness. They call it immutability. The blockchain is immutable in that once you make a transaction, once a history of transactions comes to consensus on the network, that history is immutable. Meaning even if you have lots and lots and lots of computers, the challenge, the the computational challenge of changing any of history becomes essentially impossible. Within an hour, it's effectively impossible to change anything on the blockchain. So consensus is critical and blockchain is critical. And what they allowed together, they actually solved two problems. One is the how do you coordinate these individuals? You know, again, not a company, not a coordinated group. These are just any people anywhere in the world, any language. They plug in their computer and they work together. So consensus was a big thing. And then the other, the other thing that if you think about it, in a digital world, we're used to files and whatnot. You can copy digital things. So the other major problem that got solved was how do you not just copy one of your Bitcoin? We needed a way to have a Bitcoin be a unique entity in a digital space where nothing is not copyable. And consensus was the answer to that. So it is a massive revolution in what's possible. And it does does take a while to under, fully understand those words and, and how they fit together. Yeah. And this is about as technical as we're going to get, you know, for everybody listening here. This can get, you know, far more technical than what we're talking about, but we don't need to go down that road. It's just a matter of understanding the power and uniqueness of what the blockchain is and how that's going to apply to investing and real estate and contracts. We'll get into that here in a couple of minutes, but let's just kind of wrap up the whole blockchain conversation here by by saying this. You know, if you if you break down the word blockchain into its two parts, block and chain, the block is the chunk of data and you know, every chunk of data is attached to the next one in what is referred to as a chain because of that unique fingerprint. So the hash from the previous one attaches itself. This is not the technical explanation, by the way, but it essentially attaches itself to the next block. And there's a link there that a mathematical link that can only be one way and one way only, and it cannot be tampered with. And so once it becomes permanent, it's permanent forever. And so this is not the best definition. I'm sure you could give a much, much better, you know, description, Mike, but at least this is the way I understand it in my head. And it's just that unique link and fingerprint that attaches it to the next block, to the next block, to the next block that makes it unbreakable. Is, is that a reasonably close description? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I want to say to a totally different angle on this to wrap up this conversation is I want to whet your listeners' appetite with what's possible here. And it's just my favorite example. There's a lot of these, but I was in software for many years and I, I worked with a lot of coworkers who were immigrants, re- recent immigrants from other countries, and they, they had families back home. And so many of them would work, make a lot of, make you know, as much money as they could, and then send a big portion of their pay back to their family. And generally what happens there is Western Union is how that's done, and it's massively costly. And the person on the receiving end needs a bank account. And so there's actually numerous crypto projects that are functioning in India. There's a really cool one in Nigeria where bank accounts are actually relatively rare. And so where bank accounts don't exist, 
and where the connection to those banks are really poor, sending money gets ridiculously expensive or damn near impossible. And so what cryptocurrency now allows is in any of those countries that have simply a cell phone and connectivity, which is really common nowadays, 2 point something billion people in the world are now connected via mobile apps. You download a Bitcoin app on your cell phone and you are ready to go. All you need is other people's addresses. It's extraordinary to enable, you know, in the, in the Western world, we assume a bank account and we like, oh, how do I get my bank dollars into crypto? That's not the problem in most of the rest of the world. Most of the rest of the world needs any form of money. And this crypto revolution can bring money to the pockets of people who have never had a bank account and just skip that entire system. So the possibilities out there are just amazing to go read about. Yeah, it's very liberating and very powerful. And the reach is virtually unlimited. Anybody in the world that can access the internet with a computer or an iPhone or any other kind of electronic device can be plugged into you know, the blockchain network and be able to transact and, and send and receive, I hate to call it money, but essentially currency. And that's very liberating. Absolutely. So what we've established to this point is that the underlying technology, which, you know, is the engine that makes this work is the blockchain. And that's really what I think I'd like everyone to focus on is, is what can we do with the blockchain? Not so much, you know, what is Bitcoin, which is really just the 900 pound gorilla, the original gold standard to, you know, the whole long list of cryptocurrencies. So let's just go off on a tangent here for a moment and talk about investing and then we'll kind of tie it all together with real estate. Let me ask you your opinion first. Do you do you think that cryptocurrencies are investments? I, I, I like asking this question. I have my own opinion of it, but I, I want to ask yours first. Yeah, anything anything that goes up and down in value is, a, is an investment. Whiskey is a potential investment. So <laughs> I, I definitely think it's an investment. It can be likened, I think, most easily to the stock market where you're buying a digital representation of ownership in something and then waiting for that something to go up. So it's an equity-based investment, capital gain investment. Right. Yeah. For the most part, I don't consider it an investment per se, because when I think of investments, I'm thinking of things that kick off income, you know, cash flow, they give me passive income. You know, if I wanted to be a speculator and I'm looking at increasing the value of something, it's really more of a capital gain. It may go up in value, down in value, but until you actually sell that investment or that commodity or whatever it may be, you don't really realize the gain. So all you're seeing is is the price of something change. So I understand what you're saying and I do agree with what you're saying. However, from where I sit, I look at the portfolio of cryptocurrency that I hold to be more of a speculative investment, a speculative play. It's not generating income or cash flow. It could go up in value. It could go down. I could lose it all. I mean, you and I both know that many cryptocurrencies have come and gone. So personally, I don't consider it an investment. I do consider it more of a speculation. It's a little bit of a gamble and it's extremely volatile. But, you know, everybody's got their own opinion and that's great. And, you know, I'm glad you shared yours. What do you think makes one better than another? If you, you know, if you want to consider it an investment, what would make one better than another? Would it be its utility value or something else? Well, there's a lot that goes into that. Just like the stock market, you've got, you've got your different types of analysis and the two, I'll call two of the three out. One is fundamentals, right? What does this coin actually offer? Bitcoin, as I said earlier, lacks certain features like privacy. 
you know, real reliable privacy. Well, there's five, six major coins that have split off from Bitcoin and added real privacy. And how they did that varies. So if you think privacy is valuable, that's a fundamental advantage to those coins. And within those particular coins, you can further look for what's the mechanism and, you know, which one has name recognizability. Like you can, you can do the same kind of fundamental analysis you do with a stock, but you also have what James Dines calls the, the mass psychology that we normally hear as herd mentality. And that's the less predictable form of, okay, I've got five privacy coins and one of them is super popular and maybe it's the worst technology. Maybe fundamentally it's not the best answer, but for whatever reason it was first or it did good marketing and it gained notoriety. So you've got the same kind of thing in crypto where you've got to study the fundamentals to know, you know, who's the team? What kind of track record? What kind of technology do they use? How reliable is that? How tested is that? Yeah. Um, Then you've got the mass psychology side of, all right, well, you know, this one, people like this logo and use this in commerce already. And that's why it's big. So you've got the same kind of, of considerations in stock. And I think it's more fun to me, being a tech geek, to study this uh, study this instead of stocks. But it's also harder when you get into especially privacy coins. The tech is crazy complicated. And so to really wrap your brain around it and understand which one's better, you got to love the study process. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the complexity of this. It, it's it's hard to consider this as an investment vehicle or investment class because of its complexity. It's just not easy to set up accounts and and, and buy your cryptos and monitor it and do research on it. I mean, you're knee deep into it. I mean, you're I mean, you're probably completely buried in it, let alone knee deep. But it's it's complicated. Um, it took me a while to figure it out and get used to it. But now, you know, now I have a level of understanding. But in looking back, I've seen the value increase a thousandfold over the course of four weeks and then, you know, come right back down to where it was prior to that. So the volatility makes it a little unnerving and scary for some people and it keeps them away. I mean, they want the opposite. They want stability and predictability more so than volatility. So it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Well, and one thing. One thing about the evolution that's worth mentioning, when you look historically, we're at the beginning. This this technology was spawned in 2009. You know, it launched in 2009 with Bitcoin's launch. And so it's relatively new. And if you look at Andreas Antonopoulos, who's a, a, a big name in the industry giving lectures and whatnot on Bitcoin, brilliant guy, brilliant, brilliant guy with amazing background. He can, he likens where we are now with, with cryptocurrencies to the internet in the 80s. Now, most people didn't know the internet existed in the 80s. In fact, if you look, there's a famous, famous clip from uh, one, of the, one of the morning shows in like 1995. And they're asking questions like, so how do you send an internet? I mean, they just like have no idea. <laughs> and in the 80s, I have a really good friend who was in IT for many years. and He sent emails in the 80s. But you had to understand so much technical stuff to do it. Most people would look at that and go, well, that's not useful to me. And I think crypto is kind of in that world now where you can study your way up and learn how to do it, but it's not easy. And over the next few years, it will become easy. We'll have addresses that look like emails or something that we can relate to. We'll have security that makes sense. The tools will come. 
And eventually this will be accessible. It's just nowhere near there yet. It's what they refer to as being user-friendly. It's not user-friendly yet. You know, the technology is there, but we don't have the wrapping and the interface to make it fun and easy to use, you know, like the browser is today, you know, back when Netscape, even before Netscape, uh, Mosaic, you know, came along, it was it was a little clunky and there were no features. And, you know, if you kind of figured it out, you could work your way around it and learn how to use it. But it kept getting better and better and better as, you know, the years went by. And I mean, we're, we're in the beginning. And your comment is interesting. You know, it, this is new, relatively unknown, very raw. And you mentioned it's small. This is a good segue to the whole real estate thing. And this is kind of where I want to tie it all together. You know, if you look at the market capitalization of of the crypto world, we're roughly around what is it, three hundred and fifty billion? As of today, it's three hundred and forty six billion dollars. You know, that's including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, EOS, and you know, Litecoin, all the, the major players out there. And that sounds like a lot, but you know, let's put this in perspective. You know, we're talking three hundred and fifty billion versus the gold market being six trillion, agricultural land twenty-six trillion, the equities market fifty-five trillion, commercial real estate twenty-nine trillion. But here's the amazing thing: residential real estate is a hundred and sixty-two trillion dollars. I mean, you compare the cryptocurrency market of three hundred fifty billion to one hundred and sixty-two trillion. It is a very, very tiny asset class. And so we're talking about an industry, if you will, that has no Wall Street or institutional money in it yet. There are no funds. There are no ETFs yet. It's coming. Any comment about that? Yeah, the comparison is really important. It is a tiny market. Hundreds of billions of dollars may seem big until you consider it in in the context of the numbers you provided. You know, when you look at, at countries' GDPs, international derivatives market is three quarters of a quadrillion Dollars. This is a tiny, tiny, tiny market. And more and more you're reading about institutional money wanting to get into this space. And so there are proposals to the SEC to open ETFs. And so far those have been rejected, but one day one will open. The expectation is that'll happen sometime this year, but that will blow up this market. It's a huge, it's a huge driver for value when you consider that the Value would have to get into the trillions to make any sense compared to any other asset class. And that's that's going to be part of the challenge for the institutional money. How do you build a system that gets its toe into a market cap that's this small? It's a huge challenge for the people working on it, but the first person to get in, <laughs> it's a lot of money to be made. Yeah, big time. I think the tipping point, some say, is the $1 trillion mark. Once we hit that $1 trillion market cap, that's when you know we can expect to start to see things going vertical as opposed to just, you know, chugging along the way it is now. We'll see. Absolutely. So let's tie this all together. You know, why should we care as real estate investors? How the question is, how could this impact the real estate industry? And I mean, that's a show in itself, but do you want to touch upon that? I mean, I, I've been reading up on this and I have some comments, but I'd like you to address this. Yeah. The, so from what I said earlier, this is the internet in the eighties. So if you consider what the internet is today, we live on it. We socialize on it. We communicate on it. We learn on it. The internet is fundamental to most modern life today. Well, if you consider that blockchain is, is in its, you know, internet in the eighties phase, you have to consider the future, right? Unless you're 
80 years old and not really worried about the next 30 years. The rest of us are going to are going to age into this world where blockchain becomes a significant technology. And, you know, real estate wise, it's actually one of my favorite examples of what the blockchain will enable. Currently in real estate, when you buy a property, you've got this escrow service. And the escrow service is purely this third party that takes in a deed and takes in a deposit and takes in certain reports that all of these things come together from different parties. Somebody sits and verifies all the documentation, clicks go and sends out the deposit to the bank and the deed to the bank and the, or sorry, the deed, yeah, the deed to the bank. It disperses the components that it took in to different parties based on a contract. Blockchain has also enabled something called a smart contract, which to skip lots and lots of detail is simply a contract that's been put in the form of software. It's been codified as software. And what that enables is the automatic execution of contracts based on rules that are in software and agreed to upfront. So if you take an escrow service, lots and lots of an escrow service can be automated. You can have a, a smart contract that accepts cryptocurrency. So there's no human involvement in checks and wire transfers and any of that stuff. Somebody just sends Bitcoin to an escrow account. And then the smart contract can take that hash you mentioned, a digital fingerprint of a deed. Uh, so there's numerous pieces. And you know how all this works is just an amazing thing to read about. We don't have all the answers yet. But we're automating a lot of those pieces in things called smart contracts. And then you've got uh, the, the, the system. Another buzzword is trustless. So the, an automatically executing smart contract is trustless in that you don't need to trust anyone other than the escrow company themselves. They're your trusted party. And they rely on trusted parties for surveys, survey reports, and inspection reports and whatnot. Well, if you minimize the human involvement to just those parts where a human really needs to be involved, and then you set up a smart contract to handle the rest of the transaction, we're going to see blockchain revolutionize how humans interact. I don't, as as Dan Larimer, the the CTO of EOSIO talks about blockchain is not going to eliminate human involvement. It's just yet another tool to quicken and enable humans to get done what we want to get done. So I, I think that future that's sitting out there, that's that optimized, man, the earlier you start learning about it, even if it's really hard now, you'll be way ahead of the game going forward. An analogy I like to use when I explain this to people is what the internet has done to the travel industry if you think back 20 years ago, 15 years ago, how you book travel, you know, through a real estate, uh, uh, through a travel agent, you know, you had to drive down to their office or maybe call them and they would share information with you. If they were online, you know, you'd look up trips and there was no automation or booking, um, you know, with the airlines and the hotels and all that kind of stuff at, at, at some point. But then, you know, it got completely automated. People are still involved in small parts of it, you know, it's been minimized. But for the most part, it's so easy today to simply go online, look up what you're looking for, book, and everything is processed electronically and, and everything's conditional. If this happens, then do that. And that's really what you're talking about with smart contracts. It's it's a conditional contract that if these certain conditions are met, then these are the outcomes or the results. And that can apply to title. 
It can apply to property rights. You can have, you know, personal records, criminal records, credit history, all on the blockchain that is there for whomever to access. And, you know, you can't fudge that or, or lie about it. Uh, you know, the blockchain is such a powerful, powerful tool and it'll be used, I think, in all levels of real estate. You know, you're as a tenant, you know, what, what is your eviction record, your, your credit score, your personal records, your criminal records? How often do you move? Um, maybe there will be some, um, reputation scoring that ties into that, you know, based on how you left properties with previous landlords. Who knows? But, you know, all this stuff is there, I think, to ultimately serve us as real estate investors in a, in a very smart way. What do you think about that? Yeah, the thing that sounds contradictory when you first hear it, but it really is the power is privacy and transparency. If you donate to a charity, the blockchain enables you to see exactly where every dollar went. If you have, as you mentioned, you know, tenant, if you're a tenant, you have, you own, you could own your data as far as, you know, apartment, how you left apartments and rent history payments and all that. You could own it. So you're not reliant on Equifax to keep it safe. You keep it safe and you hold it. So it's on you to release it to a landlord, but it says something if you don't release it. Right. <laughs> and you can you can release what you want. You may say, hey, I don't want to release my medical records to a landlord, but I will happily release my, my rent payment history. And so that combo of transparency and privacy is an incredibly powerful tool that we've never had before. And this may be a prediction too, Um you know, the blockchain and smart contracts might ultimately eliminate title insurance altogether because if there's no disputing the the chain of title on a property because it's all in the blockchain and it cannot be hacked or changed and everybody's agreed to it from one transaction to the next transaction to the next, then there's no arguing about that clear title, that fee simple title. So why do you need title insurance if everything's there for everybody to check and verify? Yeah, there's a lot of systems that we have set up over time to compensate for a lack of reliability, possible corruption or things like that. And you're exactly right. This is this is going to enable a record, an immutable record that will just eliminate need for for certain things. And that's you know where you and I are fascinated and involved with real estate, so these are easy examples, but there are so many other ones. I just I actually just heard an interview with a team in Nairobi who was looking to do the census uh, on the blockchain because wow. they know many people have cell phones, many people are related to other people so they can use their social network to get to everyone. And he expects rather than a year to be able to produce a census in about a month and have that combo of privacy and transparency. Transparency where you can see exactly how the process happened. You don't have to doubt that as they do that the government would you know mess with the numbers. You know the numbers are legit. And people can keep their names and ages and whatnot private, but you have the resultant stats that constitute a consensus, a census. Right. So there's some amazing projects that will go on over the next few years, and it will completely revolutionize some industries. Oh, absolutely. This is a, a real disruption. It'll be a disruption to many industries. And we could go on for hours about this. You know, there's so much more depth and breadth to everything we're talking about. But I think, you know, we covered a lot of the basics. We talked about it as an investment and, you know, we kind of tied it into how it can and probably will impact real estate and us as real estate investors. And this is just the beginning. This is going to continue to unfold as as the months and years go by. So on that note, 
Mike, how can people find out more, learn more, learn about you and, you know, the newsletter that you have, which I think is fantastic and whatnot, maybe give out your website and whatever else you'd like to share. Sure. You can find everything on my website at mikefreeman.com. That's F-R-E-E-M-E-N at mikefreeman.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. There's an archive of past newsletters and the newsletter is really aimed at getting the basics communicated. Honestly, I, I spent a lot of time on Skype with friends, teaching them how to do all this basic stuff. And then I thought, well, you know, I might as well, I might as well share this. So I've got a YouTube channel, a DTube channel and the newsletter all to get that core, you know, basic education across. And it's great. And I appreciate you taking the time here today to, you know, educate our audience. So I think maybe what we can think about doing is in six months, nine months from now, maybe you know, revisit some of this and just see how things have changed and evolved because this is going to be an ongoing topic. It's not just a one-time thing. Well, as you said, you and I can go on for hours, so we should be <laughs> <laughs> ourselves and I look forward to the next conversation. That sounds great. Mike, appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on the show. Likewise. Thank you, Marco. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.